Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Trying to parse the crowd here and cull it down and get it together here. Amen. How y'all doing tonight? Good? Everybody feeling good? Good, because I'm not. So uh, I'm not sure if it's uh, jet lag or what, but I... I've been tested and poked and prodded. I have no flu, no strep, no nothing, but I still feel terrible. So don't you feel sorry for me, right? Praise God. So uh, I, uh, the lot fell to me, and I just didn't feel like saying no, even though I was sick. So I'm not trying to be your martyr or anything, but uh, I'm just going to share a few thoughts with you tonight. Because we're turning in the disciple, finally turning the corner on being a disciple, discipleship. We're going to put some practicality to it on Sunday mornings with the teaching of anatomy of disciple. Um, I guess the Lord gave me this kind of uh, simple thought for tonight because uh, what I'm going to, I think I'm going to talk to you about, you never know, uh, is uh, is uh, discipleship 101. And, and I got to be honest with you, no matter how old or how long you've been around or how mature or immature you may be in the Lord, discipleship is 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 dirty business it's uh it's tough business and 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 depending on where you are in the journey uh there are seasons where the stall or the crib or the oxen where the oxen is gets pretty dirty in your life could i get an amen amen so because i'm not feeling well and i'm not seeing well uh i've asked i have a bible reader up here is that all right so we're going to get him involved so uh, if you want to stand, you can stand, but if you would, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and uh, it's a very familiar portion of Scripture, and I'll just get right down to business, and maybe we can get out of here, but I, I would like to let Scripture talk to us a little bit tonight, because outside of Scripture, I really have nothing much to say that's going to be of any use to you tonight. So if you would read those uh, portions of Scripture for me, verses 7 through 10. Let's give him a hand. Let's take the edge off him right now. You can do it. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. I, I'm going to just interrupt you. I, I just need to just stand, keep saying it. Don't go away. This is just what preachers do sometimes. But I just want to know, is there anybody here that, that understands what he just read? Is there anybody that's ever been and he said unto me moment in your life? I'm just testing your faith here tonight. Now, I'm the sick one, but I'm hoping there's somebody other than me that's been in one of those moments where, and he said unto me. If you've ever been in that place, could you just say amen or clap or something like that? Because if you haven't been in one of those moments in your walk with God, you're not going to identify with anything I'm going to say here tonight. Go ahead, brother. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Amen. Keep going. You can't leave out the therefore. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, 
in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen, brother. I'm not guaranteeing we'll get to the rest of that list, but if you'll prepare and follow along, it'll be great. Amen. Uh, Therefore, how many times have you heard preachers or teachers, or maybe you've taught it yourself in a small group lesson, that when you see a therefore and the wherefore in the Bible, then you need to find out why it's there or what it's there for. And in this case, for this lesson that I'm just going to be plain with you, I'm going to talk to you tonight about complaining. I believe this therefore is very pivotal in, in this thought, and I've never really seen it like this before, so have patience with me. I want to share with you a story that sort of fits, and I've used it in teaching the prayer shawl and other teachings. It just seems to kind of fit. Maybe it's that small group icebreaker. But uh, in 1952, there was a female swimmer uh, named Florence Chadwick, and she wanted to swim, the be the first uh, female swimmer to swim from Catalina Island in California to the coast. I believe it's 26 miles or so, if, if my memory serves me. And uh, she began her swim. She was trained, well, great in shape. She had done things like this before. It was a typical California day. It was foggy. It was a shark-infested environment. She had her, her mother and others in small boats beside her, coaching her on and maintaining her safety, so on and so forth. And she got approximately a mile. Now, this is a true story. It's, it's on the Internet if you want to search it out. So if I get a few facts wrong, then we, we know it's Brother Trombley's memory. But I think I have it right. So she got about a mile from the coastline, and she uh, said she couldn't make it. And she ended up being hauled into the boat, and she, she didn't make it. Now, at the time, she didn't realize that she was only a mile from the coastline. She had essentially slam, swam 25 miles in shark-infested water and fog. And later in an interview, she said it wasn't fatigue, it wasn't sharks, it wasn't rough seas, it wasn't anything else that defeated her other than the fog. She couldn't see her destination. She couldn't see where she was going. And so she just gave up and crawled back into the boat. And I don't know how many months it was later, but eventually she went back and and did it and did accomplish this same feat a few months later, and she actually made it. And when she was asked by the reporter what was the difference between then and now, it was the same exact conditions, but this time you were able to finish it. And she said it was that I kept a mental image or a picture of my destination in my mind the entire way so that the fog couldn't affect me in any way. And in many, many ways, it's not a perfect illustration because obviously Florence didn't cause any complaining or didn't participate in it. But in many ways, when we complain or when we entertain the spirit of complaint, it, it sets a fog around us and around God. And we, we really never uh, find our true destination. Amen? And, and uh, that, I, I, I like what Paul said. Paul said, Therefore, I take pleasure. And I don't have the Greek word in front of me, but I do know that that Greek word there for pleasure has to do with the way we think. I will think well or I will think good. So we come full circle in this whole discipleship thing again. And I hope we never get out of this circle because everything, almost everything in walking with God is right here. 
And you will find, if you analyze the situations of your life, that it was just faulty thinking in the midst of trials and tribulations that caused you to take a a wrong turn at uh, Boardwalk and and not pass go and collect that $200, etc., etc. I'm making sense so far. So essentially, Paul is saying, no matter what I'm going through, I will think well in distresses. I will think well in trials. I will think well in situations. I will think well when people are running me down. I will think well when my ministry partner is in a complaining. I will think well through all of these things Paul is saying. Amen? You ever heard that before? Yeah. I will think well, Paul is saying, if you look at that Greek word. That's kind of an amazing thought, pun intended to me, that Paul is definitely saying that it's important how we think. That if I'm thinking well, it doesn't really matter what I'm going through, I will get through it to the other side. The manifestation of complaining is a result, in my opinion, of undisciplined thinking. Now, before I go any further, let me, let me throw this caveat. Let me, let me just be who I am and, and honest and open. I, I'm, I'm talking to you about something that I have struggled with all of my life. I, I don't know if you've been complaining. I don't care if you've been complaining. God didn't give me inside knowledge to preach this because I'm aiming at anybody. I'm putting my life on display for you tonight and telling you, that I struggle with complaining. There's something called a a happy sailor is a complaining sailor. Don't look that up on the internet because it's not exactly that kind of word. (laughs) But I, I guess I had lived my whole life under that kind of thought that that if if a sailor is happy. He's complaining, and if he's complaining, he's paying attention, and if he's paying attention, then it's, it's less likely that anybody will get hurt or have harm or a piece of equipment that's bad won't get tagged out, etc., etc. And I come, I've come to the revelation that that doesn't work in the kingdom of God. It doesn't transfer over in the kingdom of God that when I entertain complaint or the spirit of complaining or I even let anybody else enter complaints into my ear that this fog comes over me and I'm unable to see accurately where I am in walking with God and where others are and I can't minister effectively and my anointing begins to go away, etc., etc. Could I get an amen? Making sense so far? Amen. Uh, So nothing, in my opinion, has kept me from my, I hate to use this word because it's so overused, but my destiny or my full potential in Christ more than harboring a spirit of complaining. And I know we're going to flush this out a little bit in a minute. Some of you are going, I don't complain. Yeah. Uh, I think you do. I think you're in the flesh. I think that you would disagree with me that if I said you, when you complain, you're complaining against God, but we'll get to all of that. So let's look at a couple things. Let's look at uh, sort of a right and a wrong way to complain based biblically. Now, there's so many scriptures that deal with complaining. Actually, on Yom Kippur, as you grab uh, Psalms 142, was it? Uh, You get there, and I'll just talk for a minute and stall for you. Uh, Yom Kippur is one of the great 
Feast of Atonement, uh, the final Feast of Atonement in uh, Judaism. And many of you are familiar with these things. And there's, there's something like, I don't know what it is, there's something like 30 uh, sins that must be um, confessed or dealt with at that time. And I'm not advocating any of this. But it's interesting that almost half of these sins at the Day of Atonement involve how we speak. And I got to tell you, we talk a lot in the apostolic movement about having the power of speech. Speak to your problem. Speak to your mountain. Speak to the fig tree. Say it. Believe it. I bless you. I speak it. I proclaim it. And I got to tell you, unless you're dealing with what we're talking about here tonight, and there are many other aspects of it, a critical spirit, a bitter spirit, etc., etc., an evil tongue, then, then you really don't have any power with speech. And that's why it hasn't worked. And I believe that's why we don't see more Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give unto you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, rise and walk. Now, you don't believe that with me. I understand you don't believe it. But I'm I'm, I'm telling you that the reason sometimes we lack some power in what we speak forth is because we're not dealing with the way we think. Because the way you think determines what's in your heart, and what's in your heart will come out from your mouth. Amen. So these are all... Connected. Brother, would you read 1 and 2, verses 1 and 2 of Psalms 142, please? Psalms 142, 1 and 2. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I shewed before him my trouble. Complaining. There's nothing wrong with complaining. If you look it up in the dictionary, you'll get different references and the word complaint here in Hebrew isn't exactly translated well. Uh, it just means sorrow. It's uh, actually one translation I wrote down here says, I put all my sorrows before him. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with doing it that way. And, and I will acknowledge to you that uh, complaining is part of the fallen nature of, 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 of the humanity. We all complain. Could I get an Amen. I thought I was in the wrong house. But when complaining becomes habitual, you don't even really realize it's become to that point. It's in your spirit. It's more actually sometimes than what you say. You don't even realize that you are habitually complaining in your spirit. And when it becomes habitual... It's a problem because habitual complaining really is nothing more than a formal charge or an accusation against God. He's not competent. You are in a situation that's not fair. I need to know why. He's not competent is what you're saying. This situation doesn't make sense to me. I don't like it. It's not right. It's God is not competent. Now, I know that's strong, but I'm going to back it up a little bit here. But that's what, is this more palatable if I say, that's what I'm saying? If my leadership, I'm always complaining about my leadership. And again, I have been guilty of this along the way. If I'm always in that mode and I'm habitually complaining, uh, even if I'm right, God can't bless that. I'm saying to God, that he is not competent to handle this situation, whether it is wrong or whether it is right. 
Either your steps are ordered of the Lord or they're not. Either you trust in Him in all of your ways and acknowledge Him, or you don't. Either He knows the steps of a righteous man or a good man that are ordered of the Lord, or they're not. And i got to be honest with you. I haven't lived my life that way very much. It's so easy to complain. It's so easy to be critical. Let's go to Numbers chapter 11 and let's, uh, let's look at that. David, while you're going to Numbers 11, I think we're reading 1 through 3. We'll try that. Um, I don't have it in front of me. I'll get there in a minute. David wasn't complaining here. If you study the Hebrew out, he was lamenting. He was putting his sorrows before the Lord. If you have sorrows and you're in a situation that's tough for you, that's, that, that, that seems to be not fair, if you're going through things, you have every right to lament before God. To put your problems before Him is not complaining in the traditional negative sense. Is everybody on board with me? Making sense? Because I'm like in an outer body experience with this cold right now. Amen. So let's read. Uh, but th- let's look at one of many examples in the Bible of how not to complain. Numbers chapter 11. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burnt among them, and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses. And when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. And he called the name of the place Taborah, because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. Praise God. Again, you know what's amazing is if you look at uh, chapter 10, verse 35 and 6, they're in the midst of this joyous occasion. They're, they're celebrating, they're praying, they're honoring God, they're setting the ark forward, they're praying, they are at a, an optimistic, prayerful powerful, joyful moment, and then one verse later, because the chapter breaks were put there by man and the translators, and then one verse later, verse 11, uh, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, we see a total shift in attitude. And, and I, I read a little bit on this because I wanted to know, well, I wonder how many years that was between these two events that caused them to get so critical in such a seemingly short amount of time, one verse. And and you want to know how much time the scholars say they believe was there? Three days. Three three days from putting the ark forward, this powerful proclamation of our God has rescued us from Egypt. He is awesome. He's all that in a bag of chips. Let's pray. Let's dance. Let's celebrate. Three days later, we get here. That's amazing to me. Complaining in the midst of a trial only gets you a failing grade. Many, many Many of us, me included, will never get to your destiny or your expressed purpose in God because we're too busy complaining about where he has us now. 
Oh, it, it was better than that. What are you doing back there? <laughs> I, I really want you to think about that for a minute. The reason you are stuck where you're at might be, as not a here, thus saith the Lord, might be that you can't let go where you're at now. If you're complaining, I'm never, I'm not married, and you get so locked in that you're not married, and you got to get married, you're never going to get married. I'm sorry. There's no faith in that complaint. It's just a registered incompetence, God. Now, I know you don't mean it that way, but there's no other way to take it. That's what happened there. And, and if you let, oh, God, have mercy. If, if you, are, you want a new job or if you want a promotion in the ministry or you think that you're all that and a bag of chips, if you think your anointing is something, if you think, you know, I'm being honest with you, you can at least be a little transparent back at me. If you think that you need to be advanced and you've been passed over in the ministry, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, I got to tell you my testimony, you're going to stay where you're at. You can be right all day long, and you won't move, God, and you won't move either. You like discipleship? (laughs) Oh, boy. Praise God. You'll never leave where you're at financially, educationally, emotionally, spiritually, if you continue to complain about where you're at. That's what Paul said. He said he learned to be content wherever he's at. Sometimes we just think these sayings are just trite little sayings. But you see, when you get into true discipleship, not churchianity, not coming to hear a preacher, not any of that other stuff, when you begin to participate in true discipleship, then the rubber will hit the road, so to speak. Then you'll have to walk out these trite little sayings that if the preacher just says them right, I say, Paul learned to be content. I said in all, some, no, all. Then they become more than just things we preach about. They become the substance and the essence of your life. See, I'm done with preaching in the, in the classical sense. I'm done with, 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 with worrying about whether you're going to move or whether you like it or whether you don't. I didn't come here or I'm never coming anywhere again to worry about whether you like what I'm saying. I hope you don't. I'm serious. I'm not trying to be mean. But I, I just really am fed up with, with, with myself, to be honest with you, and what I've made it. when things don't live up to your expectations, when life isn't going the way you plan, and and, and life is hard. I'm not sitting here saying life isn't hard. Listen, I'm sick. I got an autoimmune disease. I've lost my sister. Listen, you know what? Life, it isn't fair sometimes. And when it doesn't meet up to your fair meter, 
when it doesn't meet your expectations, you really have one of two choices. You can complain silently. If you, because you're a Christian, you would never complain outwardly. Or you can cast. What, what, what does it say? I, I may be out of order. What is it, First Peter 5, 6, 7? Yeah, was that the next one? Amazing. I ought to be sick more often. Read it. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Humble your... Now wait on God to humble me. Go ahead. That he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Thank you. And of course, Bishop Wright has taught on this scripture extensively. All of us have heard about casting our cares, and yet we still do not do it. (laughs) Praise God. It is... Our enemy's plan, is it not? He has come to steal, to, and to, and he uses circumstances in your life, expectations to try to get you distracted so that you can begin to complain or murmur or think wrong or not think well about your situation or your spouse or your lack thereof or your pastor or your leader or your small group leader or or anything else. And I'm going to keep saying this and I'm sorry to repeat myself, but I got to. You're really not upset with any of those people. You're upset with God. I'm just telling you from my experience. I'm just telling you I'm guilty. I'm just telling you that I've done it the majority of my life. And I'm just telling you it doesn't pay off. And I'm just telling you that wherever you're at now, if you're unhappy, you'll never get out of it if you keep that posture. Did I belabor that enough back there, Brother Height? Can't really see you, but I saw your head go back, so that must mean something. He's probably going, oh, no, him again. Have you ever, don't answer this. Please, just look at me with your poker face, your best Baptist head nod. Have you ever been in a place where you've complained about leadership, your pastor, your boss, your job, your dad? Just shooting at you over there, just having fun. I've learned, you just pause. Just just let it sink in. Give you time to think. That's the difference between the way it used to be and the way it is now. There needs to be some sila moments and breaks while we're teaching here to let you think about that. I'm not pausing because what I said is profound. I'm pausing because I know that the Holy Spirit is in this place and he can work in your mind and with your mind better than I can. Let's read uh, uh, Psalms 106, verse 25, I believe I said, right? Sure. (laughs) 
You don't have to stand up, brother. We understand you love the Word of God. They forget God, their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt. At the heart of all... I didn't plan to read this, but we'll just do it. At the heart of all of our complaining is we what? Forgot. Forgot. Thank you for starting at 21. Just hold that for a preacher moment. That's at the heart of it all. That's why praise is the antidote to complaint. It's not praise because we're Pentecostal. It's not praise because we're apostolic. It's not praise so we can necessarily get you emotional. Praise is the, oh God, praise is the antidote to your complaining spirit and even the answer to seeing your situation differently. That's why when we come together, you need to force your flesh to praise God because it reminds you of who it is that is in charge of your life. And when you forget that fact that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, that his name is the greatest name, that at every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess, when you forget all of what the book says about who he is and who he was and who he will ever be, then you are in danger of thinking not well, if you will. Go ahead, brother. They forgot God their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham and terrible things by the Red Sea. Therefore he said that he would destroy them, had not Moses has chosen, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. Yea, they despised the pleasant land, they believed not his word. 25. But murmured in their tents, and hearkened not unto the voice of the Lord. If you are complaining, if you, if you are entertaining a spirit of complaint, if you're, if you're dissatisfied and not taking your lamentations over your life and sorrow before him, then you don't have a prayer obeying God's voice. Is that not what it said? Verse 25, read it again real quick. Maybe it was 26. 25, but murmured in their tents and hearkened not unto the voice of the Lord. Hearkened not to the voice of the Lord. Now, now I, 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 you know, listen, I, I'm just going to be me. Some of us think because we are paying tithes and dressing holy and uh, coming to, to gatherings and involved in small groups and, and, and giving offerings, and you, 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 you go ahead and fill in whatever that blank is. I'm not mocking any of that. I'm not disparaging any of that. It's all in the Scripture. But what I am saying is that has no justification on your soul. That's not faith. That's, you do these things as a result of your faith. They are evidence of your faith. They're not faith. They're the evidence of your faith. Because you have faith in Jesus, oh God, because you have faith in Jesus Christ and what He's done through His atoning blood, you by virtue want to obey the Word of God. But by obeying the Word of God doesn't add a stature to your soul simply for obeying the Word of God. Did you understand that? Did I explain that adequately? You got to get your ducks lined up right here. That formation's got to be flying right in your thought pattern. We're saved by grace through faith. Now understand what that means. I'm not a Trinitarian. There's no such thing as a prayer in the Bible where you can be saved and just say a prayer. I get all that. But I'm talking to you apostolics tonight. Just because you dot a few T's and uh, dot a few I's and cross a few T's, it doesn't add anything to your godly account. These are your expectations. These are your responsibilities because of your faith. 
Exodus uh, 2016, did I say? 16, verse 18. Thank you. And Moses said, This shall be, when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, for that the Lord heareth your murmurings, which ye murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us. What? But against Your murmurings are against God. Your murmurings... Say it again. I'm sorry, I messed you up. It's my fault. Your murmurings are not against us. They're not against us. They're not against Moses and Aaron. They're not against Pastor Joel, Pastor Trombley, or whatever other titles you may want to ascribe to your particular leaders. They're not against your husband or your wife. They are... Against the Lord. Against the Lord. Again, I'm going to say this because I mean it. I have been guilty. Sister Alders, if I could be so open. You know that that's true, don't you? Because I've complained to her before. And I want to tell you how wrong I was. And how sorrowful I am over the way that I've conducted my life. And I repent of those things. They got me somewhere. They got me stuck. It really comes down to something very simple. When I was backslidden in Miami, living the Vita Loca, my wife finally realized, you know, I'm going to stop tricking him to church. I'm going to start... I'm going to stop nagging him to church. I'm going to leave him alone, and I'm not even going to mention church. Matter of fact, I may stay home a Sunday or two with him while he's hungover because this isn't working. It worked. Her complaining and nagging never worked. And our complaining and nagging, even in our spirit, doesn't work. Again, complaining is part of the human fallen nature. But when a disciple of Jesus Christ, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, when you complain, you are saying nothing more than there is no divine plan or no, these are my notes, that's why I'm reading them. There are no divine plan and there's no divine purpose for what or in what I'm going through. Have I belabored this point enough? Yeah, I know it's not what I chose either. I can show you the notes I had for tonight. They weren't about complaining. But I can guarantee you I didn't complain about that. Matter of fact, when Pastor Joel asked me to take tonight, it was right there. That old nature was about to say, and I pulled it back. You see, what I'm trying to say, I'm trying to be open to help you be open. I really am. It's not fun. But if I, I, I'm hoping that if I can be open and transparent enough, then you'll be open and honest with yourself along the way and say, you know what, I, I'll tell you what, this is what you do. I was going to save this for the end, but take a, take a 24-hour challenge. Take a three-day challenge. Take a 21-day challenge. You'll never make that. I challenge you just to take a 24. I mean, I, I, I was convicted of this a long time ago. I've been working with the Lord on this, and I've been failing most of the way. But in Singapore, I got really convicted of the Lord. I just had some alone time with the Lord back at our flat. 
and the Lord convicted me. So we fly 16 hours plus four plus the stop. So we're 34 hours plus traveling. And it's a 12-hour delay, so we left on Friday. Even though we traveled 34 hours, we got back on Friday. And it's just, you're just totally discombobulated. And so I get to New York from this beautiful culture in Singapore and the beautiful orderly church, and the Chinese are so orderly and everything. And I get to New York, and I'm standing in a Burger King line. I don't know why. It's disgusting food. Sorry, Bishop Wright, compared to Singaporean food. And, and, and all of a sudden... Three guys, but right in front of me in line, and just the guy just takes their order. I'm like, wow, I'm, I know I'm tired, but this is crazy. And all of a sudden, a female comes, and, you know, a pretty African-American lady, and the guy behind was an African-American. So she, she walks right in front of me and starts to place her order. And before I knew it, I had a bottle of water in my hand, and I slammed it on the counter. I don't know why I did it. It wasn't intentional. And she said, oh, 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 I'm sorry, I'll get behind you. And, and, and I realized I was kind of complaining there. I mean, it was an understandable complaint, but I pulled it back and I looked at her and I said, I'm really sorry. It wasn't meant at you. I'm not, I'm not trying to complain or anything. I'm really, really sorry. I just got up a long flight. And she said, yeah, it's funny you say that because I had made up my mind this morning. This was about uh, three in the afternoon or so. She said, I just... Talked to the Lord this morning, and I made up my mind that I would stop complaining. And I'm like, oh, no way. No way. No way. This is not happening. Listen, life throws you curveballs. What time is it? Anybody got time? Somebody needs to hold a time up here. What time is it? 8.07. Life throws you curveballs. I could share story after story, and you could too. I remember a time in a church far, far away from here. My wife and I had been married a little while. We had a couple kids. And I went back, not this church, in all seriousness, it wasn't this church. I grew up, I went, returned to, I want to say this carefully, the first United Pentecostal church I had ever visited in. I received nothing there other than their love. And then I got transferred here. But I loved the pastor, the church loved me. But I had gone away for several years and gotten married and had kids. came back and I was excited to visit my first church, if you will. And as the pastor who I loved very much was greeting people, we're so happy to have Sister Janet here today from California. I forget her name, but she was from California and he so happy to have Billy and Bimbob back there or whatever he did. And he's going through the line. And then he turns to me and my wife in front of everybody and says, and it's so glad to have Brother Dan and his mistress with us today. I got to tell you, I don't know how I did it, but I handled that situation really well. It was a predominantly African-American Jamaican-type church. The pastor was white. And to say that I wasn't offended, <laughs> come on, man. I was, there was, you could have boiled eggs anywhere on my body. I looked at my wife, and I, I went, you know, the old poker face. I said, in three seconds, we were down front, packed church. I said, in three seconds, I'm getting up. And if you're not behind me, I'm going downstairs to get the kids. And if you're not behind me, you're going to spend the night in New York's, oops, you're going to spend the night alone in this big city. 
Sorry about that. Jesus, I didn't mean to do that. I got up. She followed me. Got the kids. Walked out the door. And, you know, about 12 people came out. We're sorry. Sorry. He called me for months telling me, I believe in the old English definition of a mistress. And I, and I forgave him. But I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. That incident caused a complaining spirit landmark in my life that I carried with me for many, many, many years. I looked at disdain from the pulpit or criticism of anybody white or anybody that made comments. You, you know what I'm saying. I don't need to belabor this, do I? You understand what I'm saying. This left a mark in me. And, and, and while I forgave the man and while I, while I did the right thing and I handled it the right way and I didn't bring it up in front of my kids and, and I did all the right things, but inside my spirit it was complaining about the ministry and about this and about the United Pentecostal Church and about all these other things. And it affected me in such a way that it wouldn't be until years later that I realized it, it, this man went on with his life. I forgave him. But the cancer or the stain in my life had left a mark that caused me to stay where I was. I had every right to be mad. I have every right to take exception. But I had no right to harbor a complaining spirit against God. That happened to me in the divine order of God in order to bring about healing in my life and let out what was wrong in there and put His Spirit in His place. You have to look at your situations in life this way or they will overwhelm you. If you're going to be dealing with people, you're going to be wrong. If you're going to be ministering to sinners, you're going to be hurt. If you're going to come to church, you're going to be wounded. If you're going to listen to a preacher long enough, he's going to say something you don't like. I don't care how good he is, and we happen to have one of the greatest preachers around. We were talking tonight, nobody wants to follow him. A complaining spirit causes us to find fault with the people around us and God. And if it's left unchecked, you will slip back into bondage like the children of Israel did. Now, let me just bring this home a little bit. I gave you church examples, but there are society issues that are just crazy today. We're still pitting blacks against whites and we're still talking about slavery and we're still Trump this, Trump that, Hillary this, Hillary that. And if you watch the news in any way, shape or form, I'm sorry, unless you're dead, it's affecting you some kind of way. I'm a guns right guy. I like guns. They're trying to take my guns. Sometimes I get mad about that. You understand me? I get so mad a spirit comes over me. You come to my house and see what happens. And that whole, oh, don't look at me like that. You got your own little spirits going on. It may not be guns, but you got something. And I can't yield to that. As a matter of fact, I had to put my, I'm sorry to use this, it's probably a bad example, but it's me, it's who I am. I had to put my guns in the safe for six months and lock them up. The guns weren't doing anything wrong. 
I wasn't tempted to do anything crazy, but I realized there was some kind of spirit attached to that that came through me by listening to the news media and watching all this stuff. You understand what I'm trying to say? And if you're not careful, society will put things in you that you didn't authorize. But you let it happen because you left the door open. You weren't mentally aware. You weren't thinking well. Paul said, I think well. I take pleasure in all of my distresses. In other words, I'm always looking at them from God's perspective. I don't always like them. I don't always want them. I don't always welcome them. I don't always appreciate them. But I always try to think well of them. Anybody ever been overwhelmed with the with the thought and the and the revelation of complete inadequacy how do you say it in i'm inadequate i don't know if it's a product of my age or what but man i've been overwhelmed with that feeling and god said it's okay because when you are weak i am strong but you all got a long line Lined up outside the church doors or inside the church doors volunteering to be made weak. That line's short. See, if we're going to have some healings in the house and stuff like that, there's going to have to be some people getting sick. If there's going to be a, an example of open and honesty like Brother Trombley, there's going to have to be people that, that have gone through these things and are willing to say, I was weak and I realized that when I'm weak, he is strong. But nobody volunteers to get a tumor. Nobody volunteers to get a a, a disease. Nobody. But I'm telling you, there begins the miracles of God. Not in the healing of the body necessarily, but in the healing and the restoration of your mind. The Bible says that we haven't been given a spirit of fear. Or even a spirit of complaint. Romans 8 and 5 says, You've not received the spirit of bondage again unto fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Bible, Paul also tells us in Thessalonians, he gives us the antidote. In all things, give thanks. For this is the will of God. Listen, I understand. I apologize to... Pastor Wright and Sister Kate, Sunday morning, I was just out of it, man. I just sat there with my arm around my daughter. So I understand we all have down days. I I just couldn't even move. I was a zombie. But sometimes I look around from that platform, and I hate sitting on that platform because I look around. And I'm like, oh, my goodness gracious. If this is the definition of righteous and holy, I'm not trying to be critical. I really am not. But, man, I don't want that. You know, this is an act of praise. This is an act of being thankful. I don't have the stats in front of me. didn't take time to do it. But I know there are stats out there that medically show the results of a complaining person. I don't know what they are, but I don't even know if they're there. I'm assuming they're there. I'm sorry if I'm misspeaking but I'm assuming that there are medical facts to show that a complaining spirit or a complaining person, somebody that's always negative, probably doesn't live as long as others do and definitely endures much more sickness. Is that somewhat accurate for you medical folks? 
You're not medical folks, is that what you said? I'm going to wrap this up and let you go, but am I making sense? My wife always says, why do you ask them if you're making sense? Why do you always ask them what they feel? Because I care. I need to know if I'm being effective in what I feel the Lord directed me to do. Because if I'm not, then, then I need to talk to some of you how I can do it better or talk to the Lord. But I, I, before I finish up here, I want to tell you, don't let this world into your door. They don't have the right to tell you how to think. I don't care whether it's issues of race or culture or anything else. They don't have that right. There's one culture, the culture of Christ. And it's rooted in love. Amen. i got to hurry up. Paul said this, and I'll close. Paul said in Galatians, My little children, of whom I travail in birth, until Christ be formed in you. Not performing in you. Not even conforming. Not reforming. But Christ be formed in you. And in the Hebrew, this is Greek, but in the Hebrew that word form means to squeeze in you. Did you know you're being squeezed while you're walking with the Lord? It's not a dietary plan because that's not working. You're being squeezed into your place. You're being squeezed or formed into who Christ fashioned and died and rose again for you to be. Just like in creation, what does it say that, that uh, God formed man out of the dust of the ground? Same Hebrew, he squeezed man into the dust. Of the ground. Isaiah 43 and 12 says, This people, speaking of his people, his chosen people, I have formed, I have squeezed for myself. And they, and this is, and it gives you, it's, 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 a, a, it's, a sem, it's a semicolon, right? And so whatever precedes the semicolon or colon must, they must link up together. So he says, I have squeezed these people into me, and here's why that they will show forth my praise. When you're not showing forth the praises of God, you're making a statement that you don't want to be squeezed. You don't want to be formed and fashioned like Him. Because praise is part of the process of being formed. Somebody said amen. That's why it says things like in Isaiah 54 and 17, No weapon or anything prepared against me that is formed or squeezed to be brought against me shall prosper. You will never leave where you are if you continue complaining and doing the same thing you're doing right now. Now, there are seasons where God ordains a time. I'm not, you know, I understand that. But if you really want to change, I've just given you one of the, Discipleship 101 ways to begin to implement. And I challenge you again, try it for three days. 
keep a log with you or something and see how you do. For some of you, you may just do well, but for others of us, uh, I don't know. Let me know how you do. Let's hear some of your testimonies down the road of the things that God showed you if you're willing to look about you. It's... (laughs) It's, it's just like Abraham. God said to Abraham, get thee and get out of the country. It's one, one of these teachings I always use. It's called Lech Lecha in Hebrew, and it literally can mean, Abraham, get up and go from your father's house to find you. When you find you, you find God. When you find God, you're supposed to begin to find you. These things are connected because you are created in his image. You're called to reflect him, not yourself. That was a little deep, I think. This is not a, 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 a trick to, to gain control over you or to tell you to do things that, that we're not doing. This, this is none of that. It, this is a divine calling of God to be squeezed into the image of God. Not in dress, but in character. <laughs> Nothing will cause you to be more out of touch and out of tune with God than a complaining spirit. Would you stand? Father, I thank you for your people. Thank you for your body, the body of Christ. Thank you for your mercy and your long suffering with me personally. Thank you for leadership that that, that turned a, a blind eye and a deaf ear to to my complaining along the way, and, and and somehow through your providence and mercy, you you helped them ignore me when when by all rights I should have been consumed like the children of Israel. Father, I, I thank you publicly, and I thank you before heaven today, and I thank you for your people that have loved me along the way, and, and, I, and I thank you for them, and I ask you to help them, Lord, as you've helped me. As I've been an example of failure, now let me be an example, Father, of, of your grace and your mercy and your willingness, God, to heal to the uttermost today. Help us, God, like Hezekiah of old, to turn our faces to the wall and to seek you and put our sorrows before you at all costs, Father. And we will praise you and we will trust your great name. And everybody said, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for your patience. God bless you.